Alright, welcome back to Why Do We Pray? We're in the series Why Do We Pray? Part 6, Understanding and Expelling Unbelief. So, uh, this last time uh, we, we talked, we, we were teaching on um, unanswered prayer and how it, it basically boils down to unbelief. We talked about uh, how doctrines have affected um, our understanding of God's will and how these um, twisted thinkings have actually created unbelief. Um, and then effective prayers are rooted in being a son of God. Basically, um, Jesus got everything he, he asked for because he was uh, the son of God. And that now that we are in Christ, now we have become sons of God. And according to John chapter 14, we read about that, how now that we are in the Father, or that the Father is now in us, that now, now our prayers are also um, being answered as well. Um, we also learned that God gets glory through answered prayers, not through unanswered prayers, uh, which is another huge um, uh, thinking that, that has, I think, crippled the church in some things. Also, uh, basically, the, the qualification for prayers to be powerful and effective are, are the fact that we have access to the Father. And so, today we're going to talk about understanding and expelling unbelief. And before we begin, I don't want people to get discouraged when they start hearing about unbelief. Man, sometimes it can be very discouraging um, because they're like, oh man, they finally realized that they have unbelief. I know that that's the way I was. I know that sometimes it is still the way that I feel and I have to overcome this. And so we're going to talk about keys to overcoming um, the, the unbelief. But the only way you can understand how to overcome it is if you understand how damaging it is and that it really is an issue. And a lot of people don't want to talk about that. So... Um, there's a ton of scriptures, though, that talk about unbelief and doubting and, and how our faith is critical for seeing prayers, to be, seeing prayers answered. And so we're going to start with um, James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. And it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so in James chapter 1, it talks about faith. James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he, is, he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So, to be double-minded, this is the problem right here, double-minded. What this means is that you have two beliefs, okay? You believe one thing, but then you believe another thing. So I like to describe doubt as this. Doubt is unbelief, okay? Doubt is unbelief, but unbelief is actually faith also. It's just faith in something else, okay? Whenever you have doubt... Well, if it says you're double-minded, right? So it's like this. You go pray for somebody to get healed, right? And you believe that God's going to heal them. This is, this is the problem we get a lot of times. People will say, well, it can't be faith because I believed for so-and-so over here and they still died. So how can you say that faith works? Well, here, here's the deal. Number one, we all uh, our biggest temptation in the church is to build our faith and our understanding of God off of our experience rather than the Word of God. 
See, the Word of God trumps everything. The Word of God trumps your experience, hands down, 100%. It doesn't matter what you experience. The Word of God is still true. The Bible says, let God be the one who tells the truth and all men be a liar, okay? So if I have the experience, experience means nothing, okay? I'm telling you, experience doesn't mean anything without the Word of God. The Word of God is everything, everything, everything. The reason why I say this is because if I go to, let's say, a Pentecostal or a charismatic group, and I say, why do you believe in healing? They're going to say, well, because I've seen healing. And if I go over here to, to uh, I'm not trying to name denominations. I'm not trying to be like that. But let's just say I'll go over here to a Baptist church, all right? I'm not picking on anybody. Let's just say that right now. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just talking about things I've experienced. I've, I know because I've been a part of both groups, all right? So if I go over here to the Baptist group, they're going to say, well, I don't believe in healing because I haven't seen it. All right? So here's the problem with this thinking. This group over here says, I don't believe in healing because I've never seen it. And this group over here says, I believe in healing because I have seen it. So who's right? You know? It's not about your experience. It's about the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? You know? So we have to study the Word. The Word is what trumps everything. All right? And then another danger of this experience thing is if I do believe in healing because I've seen it, and then all of a sudden one day I don't see it, okay, I'm not really searching, I'm not really searching for um, clarity on it. I'm just looking at my experience, and next thing you know I say, well, God doesn't heal all the time. Well, what does the Bible say? We need to know what the Scripture says, not what we say. We need to know what the Scripture says concerning these things, not what we've experienced. Because if it does have to do with faith and unbelief, then our experience will totally mess up our theology. If it does have to do with faith and unbelief, if the scriptures are true, and we know they are, <laughs> if the scriptures are true and we know they are, then this would totally explain why um, our experiences are lining up to the way they are, okay? And why it's even messing up our theology. All right, so check this out. We're understanding doubt and unbelief. So doubt is unbelief, but really <clears throat> what unbelief is, is belief in two opposing ideas. You believe both. This is why, and we're going to get into this one later, but this is why the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's possible, we need to get this in our minds, it is possible to have faith and unbelief at the same time. Okay? That's what, in fact, in fact, the very, the very notion that you have unbelief is evidence that you had faith in the first place. How can you doubt unless you believe first? This is very, this is crazy. This is important. This is important to know. If you doubt, then that's evidence that you believed, even for a second. Okay? Here's what doubt is. Doubt and unbelief, I call them the recoil of our faith. Doubt and unbelief are the recoil of our faith. We were, we were going out there, and we were going to catch this fish, and we didn't see anything happen, so we reeled it in. You see? This is really good. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, for that illustration. He threw out your nets. You got discouraged, so you pulled them back in. That is unbelief. That is doubt. You will not catch anything if you keep reeling it in. You got to leave it out there, let the bobber sit there for a while, and wait for that fish to pull that bobber underneath. Then your faith 
will actually have worked. But if you reel it back in, then you remove faith. Okay? That's what the Bible says. He's double-minded. It means that you, you, you want to go out and catch that fish, but you just don't believe you're going to catch any. You go out there fully prepared. I'm ready. I'm going to get some fish. I even invested. I bought some bait. I bought some hooks and sinkers, floaters, some rods and reels, and a fishing license. Probably into debt now 200 bucks this year. <laughs> it's cost me all this. And then you go out fishing and it's like, this stuff doesn't work. Rah! And you start throwing your fishing line. You know? doesn't work. Rah! But any good fisherman will say that it takes patience to be a good fisherman. Same thing with faith. Same thing with faith. You cannot have true faith without endurance. You can't have true faith without patience. The scripture says, he who endures to the end will be saved. What does that mean? He who has true faith, true faith endures. True faith perseveres. True faith has patience. Okay? You have to have patience. This is so powerful. So, if you understand these things, it immediately starts teaching you about how to expel unbelief in your life. Okay? Another way to describe this, double-mindedness, okay, is you believe two things. The reason why I say this is a lot of people say, well, let's say somebody's trying to quit drugs or something. They'll say, Willpower is the most powerful thing in the world. No, it's not. Oh, you know what? It is. It just depends on how many wills you have. Because <laughs> what if you have two wills? See, anybody who's struggled with any kind of addiction or temptation of any sort will understand real quick that they want to be clean, but they want to do the drug. There's these two wills. So, the, so people will tell you, well, willpower is the most powerful thing. You're right. That's why we're all screwed up. <laughs> That's why we, I want to do the right thing, but I can't do the right thing. I want to do this, but I keep wanting to do this over here. And I don't want to do the thing I want to do. It's called double-mindedness. He's, he's like a, a wave of the sea being tossed to and fro. He's not, he's completely unstable. So, I've had people say, and the best illustration I've had for this, uh, I talk to people, I say, yeah, you have a, you're talking about willpower, and I understand what you're saying, but what if you have two wills? I mean, if I want to get up early in the morning, but I also want to stay up late and watch TV, one's going to suffer. And I'm always going to feel like a failure. Wow. Man. That double-mindedness right here, this always leads to feelings of worthlessness and failure because you never feel like you can ever accomplish anything. Do you know why? The Bible says that a kingdom divided cannot stand. So when you have this double-mindedness, you're actually divided in your mind. Your whole body, your whole being is divided. And it creates division in your, in your body and in your soul and in your spirit. And you're riddled with this, ah, this, it kills you, you know? It can never accomplish anything in your life. Or you do accomplish stuff and it just ends up falling to pieces. Or you never feel happy even when you're doing it. You know, it's just double-mindedness. You know, this is why the most successful people in the world still shoot themselves. Take o overdose on drugs to kill themselves, you know? Because they're depressed. Because they're double-minded. See? Unstable in all his ways. So... You can have an appearance of success, but sometimes, though, even if you're struggling with all this doubt and unbelief, it, could, it can kill you. You know, it can kill you. So, how do you remove this? You know, well, we're not going to get into that right now because i got to go into more, more details. How deadly is this? This is what we're going to talk about. How deadly is unbelief, man? How deadly is this? Um, here, here's the one thing you have to remember. Whenever you're dealing with unbelief, you're actually dealing with pride. 
Check this out. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Okay, watch this. Grace, you're saved. You're saved by grace through faith. You can't get, the, it's like this. Um, saved would be like quenching your thirst. Okay? Being saved would be like quenching your thirst. Grace is like the water. Faith is the hose. Okay? You're saved. Your 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 thirst is quenched by water through the hose. See? Through the hose. Or even through the faucet valve. Let's just say the valve. Through the valve. The spigot. It has to be turned on. It can be turned off. Okay? Why is it pride? Pride is when you take your opinion on the matter and you exalt it above God's. Okay? So, for instance, if God wants to save you and you say, well, I'm unworthy, that's pride. A lot of people think that that's humility when its truth is it's false humility. It's actually pride because you think you know better than God. And you take your opinion and you exalt it above God's. What you have to do is you come to God feeling, you know, you're, I'm, I am unworthy. And then when God says, no, I've called you, then you... You submit to what he says about you, which is he now wants to call you righteousness. Now he wants to call you the son of God. He wants to call you adopted. He wants to call you accepted, not rejected. And so if we keep on saying, well, I'm rejected. No, I'm, I'm not accepted. Oh, I'm unworthy. Then we actually resist the word of God. We resist the will of God. And it's actually pride and it's not humility. Humility will go before God and say, I'm nothing. But then when God says, I have something for you and make you, I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you awesome. I'm going to give you new life and hope. And then you submit to that word. That's called humility. And then the scripture says, he who humbles himself before the Lord will be exalted. So if I humble myself before the Lord, he starts to tell me awesome things. And when I start to believe those awesome things, I submit to that and I receive grace in my life. But what it is when we have unbelief and we stop believing what God says about us, when we stop believing what God says we can have, it's actually pride because we think we know better than God. You see? It's crazy. Pride. When we doubt, I write it on here, when we doubt, we start to believe in our own opinion, in our own understanding. That is unbelief. Okay? So, unbelief is belief in your own opinion. Unbelief is belief in your own insecurities. Unbelief is belief in your own lack thereof. And I'm talking about after you receive Christ. Because there comes a point where you have to humble yourself and say, man, I've, I've lost everything. You have to be able to admit that. If you can't admit the problem, you can't ever get restoration. But after you receive the gift, don't keep pretending to be something you're not. Once you've received a new identity, don't pretend that, that you're not that anymore. You know, whenever uh, Peter came to Jesus, uh, Jesus came out on the water, on the, on, the, on the boat, and he starts to, he says, hey, put your nets on the other side when he first called him. Put your net on the other side. And then he put his net on the other side, and he caught all these fish, and as soon as he caught all these fish, it says that Peter got down on his knees and says, I'm a sinner, get away from me. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. So... Peter comes to Jesus humbly, acknowledging his state of being. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up, man. Don't You don't need to be around me. But as soon as he does that, God immediately exalts him and says, get back up. Hey, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Don't, don't stay down. Don't be down there anymore. That's not who I've 
called you to be. That's not my identity for you. What I say is that you're now a fisher of men. Forget about your past. Forget about where you came from. Forget about what you know about yourself because what you know about yourself doesn't matter. What you know about yourself, what you conceive about your own self doesn't matter. You know, what you think about yourself is just going to bring death. But what I think about you is going to bring life. For I did not come to the world to condemn the world, but I came to save it, Jesus said. So, the very beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's the love of Christ that actually opens everything up for us. It's the love of Christ that actually brings us true wisdom. Because true wisdom doesn't say that I'm a wretch, you know? I mean, sometimes I feel that way, but that's not who I really am. Sometimes I mess up and I feel that way, but that's not who I am. I can't stay down there. You see what I'm saying? All right, we're getting hung up on this. We're talking about pride, man, and we're talking about unbelief. How they're the same thing. And unbelief is actually faith in a lie. See? Unbelief is faith in a lie. It's the double-mindedness. And the scripture says this is very important for us to get. This is very important for us to be able to distinguish before, between the two. The scripture says that I have to take every lofty opinion that exalts itself above the knowledge of God and I have to take every thought captive. It's good. The lofty opinion that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I think this is 1 Corinthians chapter 8 or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 10. 10, that's right. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging against war against, uh, according to the flesh. Verse 4, chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So this is already talking about how you've got to, how you're going to overcome your unbelief. When you understand that unbelief is just a lofty opinion that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and that you have the authority and the power and the ability to take that thought captive, this is good. And, and you, can, you can study the people of Israel, man, as they took over the land. How did they take captive the enemies of God? See, what enemy of God isn't your flesh and blood, man. He just said this. We don't war against the flesh. We war against thoughts. We're, we war against lofty opinions. And we talked about this already. In the second and third teaching on why do we pray is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Being thankful. When we worship the Lord, it gets rid of our unbelief. Okay? Why? Because we choose to deny the lofty opinion exalted against the knowledge of God. We choose to deny that and we choose to embrace so you have, to, you have to start taking your thoughts and casting them down. And whenever you start saying, well, that's not, I, I can't do that, or I'm not going to make it, you take the thought and you cast it aside. Hey, that's not who I am. In the name of Jesus, I'm a victor. I'm a conqueror. I'm more than a victor in Jesus. You know? I have to take, the loft, I have to take my prideful opinion about myself <laughs> and cast it aside, baby. You know? i got to get rid of it. i got to throw it away. You know? And the way you do that is through Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving... Is, is, is a, a girding of your faith. Thanksgiving is a shoring up of your faith. Thanksgiving is the, is the uh, what do you call it, man? When reinforcement. It's the reinforcement. It's the brace. Thanksgiving is, you might have a faith as this post right here, but you put a brace right here, that's, thing, that's like Thanksgiving. You know? You ever seen a post up there with a little angle in it? 
The post is like your faith. Okay, it's what everything's resting on. But thanksgiving is the thing that comes up between. And it holds it and adds stability. You have your post and you have your angle. That angle, that's thanksgiving, man. It's the thing that shores up the thing that everything's resting on, your faith. All right? You got to do that. Unbelief says that's too heavy. You know? Come on. <laughs> but thanksgiving braces it. Here we go. Thanksgiving is the brace of your faith. Oh, that's so good. Thanksgiving is the brace of your faith. I'll say that again. Thanksgiving is the reinforcement of your faith. And it removes unbelief. Mark 11, 20 through 24 says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. See, what happened was Jesus comes up on this, on this little fig tree and it curses it because it didn't have any fruit on it. Curse the fig tree. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for you. So Jesus is even talking about how you can have the faith to move that mountain, but you cannot doubt. So we have two things going on here, faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. And this is the constant war of the Christian, man. This is the constant war of the Christian, believing and then doubting. We always have to hold fast the confession of our faith. We have to be confident. We have to choose to hold on to it. You see? So we have to cast the doubts aside. But believe that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. <clears throat> Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. <clears throat> I wrote on this. I'm going to write this down, okay? These are powerhouse verses for faith. This is all attainable to anyone who believes, not specifically gifted people. I've heard people say to me, Zach, you think that was a literal mountain? You think he was talking about a literal mountain? And my question to them is, was it a literal fig tree? Zach, was it a figurative mountain? Well, was it a figurative fig tree? You know? Jesus says, not only could you do to this fig tree what was done to it, but you can speak to that mountain. See? Jesus was using a real-life example and saying this can also happen as well. And you can do it. He wasn't saying, hey, I did it because I was the Son of God. He was saying you can do it. He was teaching us principles of faith. And I think we've gotten really far away from this in our churches sometimes, man. He teaches us principles of faith. He's teaching. Listen, Jesus, you know what? I always, I always talk about this, man. You know why the disciples were, were good? They did so well. They had a good teacher. You know what we're guilty of sometimes? We're guilty of not being disciples of Jesus. We're guilty of being disciples of a man. We're guilty of being disciples of a teacher on television or a teacher of our pastor. You know, we're, 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 we're guilty of being a disciple of these earthly teachers. We forget that Jesus wrote his words right here. We can go study them for ourselves, man. And sometimes, man, we, we take the, the wisdom of men and it destroys our faith. Jesus teaches us some very practical things. The disciples were good students, man. They, they, hang, they hung on to the words of Jesus. They hung on to the words. We got to hang on to the words of Jesus, man. We can't be hanging on. I tell people here, man, 
just because I say it doesn't mean nothing, man. If Jesus didn't say it, forget what I said. You know? We, we got to remember that, man. That, that we're always pointing people to Jesus. It's not about Zach Spiegel, what he has to say. It's not about, you know, any of our pastors and what they have to say. Jesus is the one. He's the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've got to be pointing people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. Pointing to people to... I remember watching that, that movie. Uh, it's called Little Boy. And I remember that little boy, man, he had so much faith. He was believing in it. He could believe he could move that bottle, man. And that priest lost heart, man. The priest lost heart. He's sitting there. I don't know if anybody's watched this movie or not, but but this boy had faith. And he was... It was a, a movie about faith, about how he wanted his dad to come home and all kinds of stuff. And the priest didn't know what to tell this boy, you know? And... You could tell the priest was trying to teach this boy something, but as he watched this boy have faith to move this bottle, and then he could tell that this boy wants to have faith for his father to come home, the priest is just torn up, man. Because he don't know what to say. Because the scripture is very clear. If you don't have the faith of a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he's looking at the priest, this man of wisdom, is looking at this little boy who has this little faith. And he's finding out real quick that this little boy's little faith is much bigger than his. With all his books and all his knowledge. And he loses heart. He can't compete. With all his knowledge, he can't compete with this little boy's faith. <laughs> man, we got to have faith like that, man. You just got to believe it. Sometimes, man, we look at men and we, we, we lean into them and what they say. You have to remember what Jesus says. Jesus is the greatest teacher, man. Alright, so where are we at? Matthew chapter 11. Believe that you received it. So I'll put it on here. And again, um, we get back to the same temptation of the serpent in the garden. Did God really say? You know? Like how many times may we read the scripture? And we're like, man, did God really say? Is that is that can that be true? It's too good to be true. Ask whatever. Believe that you received it, it'll be yours. You can speak to this mountain and it'll be removed. Did God really say? And you can see it, man. It's the beginning of all doubt. It's the beginning of all unbelief. That one question. That one question that enters every single person's brain when they're reading the Bible. Did God really say that? And it destroys our faith. We start creating doctrines to help us understand these scriptures. Well, God couldn't have possibly meant this. So what they do is say, well, maybe he meant this. Man, what if he did mean that? You know? If he did, we're missing out. The disciples got it. They got it, man. And you know what? Jesus looked at them many times and said, hey, you don't have any faith. You know, and I tell people this, man. We hear that here in the church now. If the pastor told me that I hadn't, didn't have any faith, we'd up and quit the church and leave and we'd never come back. That pastor said I didn't have any faith. I can't believe he would have said that. Well, if Jesus was standing there, do you think he would have said anything different? You know? Now, I'm not saying that the pastors um, couldn't be a little bit more tactful. But I was, I'll just tell you this. Jesus wasn't very tactful about it. <laughs> he just told them, brought up because your little faith. Or you're unbelief. Or you have no faith. Sometimes he said that. You know? Man. No, we're trying to understand this. I think it mainly has to do with more or less unbelief than, than lack of faith. And I can show you this in the scripture. So, uh, We just have to re realize that the tree, the fig tree was not figurative. So the mountain could not be figurative. Okay? And Jesus was teaching us this principle. In Matthew 21, uh, it says, You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, all right, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will 
happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. So I wrote on, the, on my notes here. So we see that faith is critical to seeing miracles. But we also notice that unbelief can hinder it. If we take on, into account Peter walking on the water, he definitely had faith. But then right in the middle of the miracle, it says that he saw the wind. And he started to take into account his experience instead of the call of Jesus. Oh, wow. Woo, thank you, Father. I need to hear that. Man, instead of the call of Jesus and the word that he had received and the thing that was in his heart that he had asked for, he started to take into, his, into account his experience rather than all that. If you recall in the story, it was not Jesus' idea for Peter to walk on the water. Think about that for a second. It was a desire of Peter's heart to do what Jesus was doing. It wasn't pre-written and ordained. It wasn't even God's idea. It was Peter's idea. But because of his friendship with the Lord, he got a special encounter because of his faith. But then he saw the wind and stopped believing the very thing he was experiencing. This is why faith comes by hearing and not by experience. He asked the Lord, if that's you, call me out. And he called him. Then Jesus scolded him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? How <laughs> like, oh, he blows me away, man. All the other disciples are in the water. They're all on the boat. They're watching Peter walking on the water. And Jesus is like, Oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? He's on the water, man. He had faith. But Jesus is, Oh, you of little faith. That's so crazy. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Obviously, he had faith. Or he wouldn't have been walking on the water in the first place. You know? And Jesus says, but why did you doubt? You know, it's almost like he's looking at a student, man. And he's saying, oh, you of little faith. Young Padawan. You know what I mean? Oh, you of little faith. He had faith. He was teaching him, hey, let's grow. Come on, let's grow, man. Why did you doubt? You're doing so good, man. Don't get discouraged here. I'll help you back up. <laughs> and you know they walk back together. You know? It's so good. Why did you doubt? Mm. Don't look at the wind, man. Don't look at the things around you and start determining whether or not God's in it or not. Woo! When everything's going crazy and there's a storm in your mind and you start struggling with this double-mindedness, choose to ignore the wind. Man, this is such a good word. Wow. This is such a good word and a timely word. Jesus is awesome. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus is pleased with faith. Even when we take a risk that might not even be God's perfect will. Because <laughs> he's pleased with faith. He's pleased with faith. Look at it, look at it, look at it. Mary did the same thing. She comes up to Jesus. She says, it's not my time. Again, we're talking about the will of God. God's perfect will was that we wait. God's perfect will was that Jesus didn't jump the gun and go and turn water into wine. But Mary's faith pulled something down from heaven. God was pleased with faith more than he's pleased with perfect timing. That's really good. This is really good. He wants us to finish strong. He never told Peter, well, when you start sinking, it must not be God's will. <laughs> he didn't say that. God's will is heaven on earth and that his children would have faith. And take risk. Believe in God for the impossible. This is what it's all about. 
so that when people see the good works and the signs and wonders, the Father will receive honor and glory for these things. Matthew 14 says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took him up, hold of him and saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? If we want to please God, we, cannot, we need to have faith and take a risk. Sometimes you got to get up out of that boat, man. Take a risk and be consumed with furthering the kingdom of God. You know, another incident of faith, uh, Jesus talks about Matthew chapter 10, okay? Check this out. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 through 8. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. All right, so that's in chapter 10. Within seven chapters, they encounter something that they couldn't overcome. All right, so he's casting out demons. I've talked about this a lot, but this is important because this is part of this series right here. Okay? Sometimes I feel like I talk too much about something, but I also know that faith comes by hearing. So hopefully people will get this. All right? <clears throat> they were already successful at casting out demons in Matthew chapter 10. Okay? We know this. Casting out demons, performing miracles, raising the dead, healing the sick. So look at this. If, and this is very important, because see in Matthew chapter 17, they come upon a situation where they can't do it. Alright, so here's a question. Did the anointing leave the apostles? You know? Just because they all of a sudden they couldn't cast out a demon right now? No. Just because they couldn't heal this boy? Did they miss the calling of God? Did they miss it? You know? Was it not God's will? Were they in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was God getting glory out of this epileptic throwing himself in the water and the fire? The answer is no to all that stuff, man. <clears throat> Let's read this. Matthew chapter 17. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy. Let me show you something about this, man. He has, says, have mercy. A lot of stuff that you can get out of this. Have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him and Jesus answered oh faithless and twisted generation how much longer am I to be with you <clears throat> how long am I to bear with you bring him here to me and Jesus rebuked the demon that came out of him the boy was healed instantly then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. And in another translation, it says, unbelief. It doesn't have to do with the size of your faith. Jesus says, if you had a little bit, just a little bit, you could, cast it, you could move a mountain, right? It doesn't have to do so much with the, the size of your faith. Can you grow in faith? Yes. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing. So you can, if it can come, okay, it can increase. Grace can increase in your life, the scripture says. May more grace abound towards you, it says in the book of James. So we can get more grace. So, but faith, I think it takes, check this out. The Bible says that all the gifts of God come by grace. Okay? So let's say I have gift number one here. Gift two here. Gift three right here. All right? It takes faith for each one of these. All right? The scripture says that the grace is a manifold grace. I don't have time to go on and find all these scriptures. We'll probably do a teaching on this one day. Uh, I just This stuff is coming to me right now, so bear with me. You can 
If you have Google or whatever, you can Google up these scriptures. It talks about the manifold grace. You can look it up. It's either in uh, it's in the book of Corinthians chapter 12, either 1st or 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, or Romans chapter 12, all right? It talks about the manifold grace, all right? Um, grace, remember we talked about how grace is like the water, right? <clears throat> but faith is the spigot. All right. Have you ever have you ever looked on? Have you ever seen those manifold spigots? What I mean by that is you have the little spigot right here, with the little spokes right here, right? And it comes out. And here's your little water, right? That's an upside down drop. You see what I'm saying? Here's a little spigot, right? They make these manifolds. Check this out. On this manifold, it'll come out like this, where you can hook up multiple hoses. You see what I'm saying? All right. This is what grace is like. The Bible says that each gift, you have to have grace for each gift. All right? So I like this. Okay, this is real good. All right. Here's your, your spigot is your faith. The water is the grace, but each pipe is a gift. Okay? And there's faith. Look, there's faith right here. There's always a little bitty notch right here where you can twist and turn it and turn the water on and off for that hose. You see what I'm saying? Each one of these has one of those. Okay? Where you can turn it, turn the water on, turn the water off for each hose. The same, listen, the same faith goes through each hose. It comes from the same source, all right? <clears throat> Look at this. <clears throat> the grace is going through the hose. It's the thing that refreshes you. It's the thing, it's what this hose is providing, but each hose is its own gift. It takes the same amount of faith to make this one work as it makes for this one work, as it does for this one to work, and as it does for this one to work. The same amount of faith it takes to make each hose work. The difference is, there's faith, there's this faith, and then there's this faith. Because that little knob right here, the little valve, we talked about how faith is like a valve. You have to have a valve here, and a valve here, and a valve here, and a valve here. As you learn, because here's a scripture, it says, for faith comes by hearing. If you don't, see many people don't realize this. They think they just got one hose. Okay? So they turn the water on, and that one hose is, oh, I'm saved. That's it. They don't realize that they have to have faith for each one of these gifts. As they grow in knowledge and grow in understanding, okay, the scripture says that we give receive grace by knowledge in 2 Peter. That we get grace by the knowledge. If you don't know that grace applies here, here, and here, okay, how can you grow in that grace without that knowledge? God also says that grace comes through the humble. And by faith. So humility, faith, and knowledge. So as I grow in knowledge, I submit to the faith. You see what I'm saying? I submit to the thing that was coming. And so you can see that these different giftings will actually come as I learn about them and understand that I can have them. And my faith is activated in each one of these manifold hoses. You see what I'm saying? So it's the same amount of faith. It's not like I have to have great, 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 great faith. I just have to have knowledge. I just have to understand that I have access to it. Okay? But everybody works so hard, so hard 
to, to build our faith. Listen, all you have to really worry about is removing your unbelief. If you knew that faith this the size of a mustard seed was enough to move a mountain, okay, then you would understand it's your unbelief that's getting in the way of the one little mustard seed. It's actually not the size of your faith that's hindering you. It's the unbelief that's hindering you. Why? Because if it takes a grain of mustard seed to believe to move a mountain, it also only takes a grain of unbelief to not be able to move the mountain. Because remember, we talked about how unbelief is faith. Faith is powerful. So if you believe in two different things, they're countering one another. You see, if your faith actually does move mountains, then believing you can't move the mountain also will hinder the mountain from being able to be moved. You see? It's pretty crazy. All right, where are we at? So we're reading. I totally got off my notes. This is awesome. Jesus is awesome. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Okay, listen. All right, now I, I explained that, so that will help me help, help you guys understand a little bit of where I'm going now, okay? Mercy. <clears throat> it says, have mercy on my son. We have to understand that God's healing is because of mercy. Every single time in the Bible. It says that he would have mercy on them. Our son of David, have mercy on me, the blind man would come and say. Or he says that he would have compassion on the crowds and he'd feed them. Or he had compassion on them and he healed all their sick. Mercy and compassion is what moved Jesus to do the signs and wonders. It's what moved Jesus to heal people. If we could get that, if we could understand that it is God's will to heal. If we just knew that right there, that would activate faith in us. We would know it is God's will to heal. You know how hard it is to believe when you don't believe that it's always God's will to heal? If you believe, watch this, that it's not God's will to heal, and you go, or that it's sometimes not God's will to heal, then it's easy to have unbelief when you don't see the bobber go down. You know? Here's what you have to realize, man. When you go fishing in the kingdom of God, the stock tank is full. There is no doubt. There is no question. You will get a bite, it will take it down, and you will catch a fish. You've got to know this about yourself. Listen, good fishermen know where to go fish. They know how deep to fish. They know where to fish. They understand where to get what they're, what they're going for. A true fisherman. I think that's why Jesus told Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to catch it every time. You're going to get it every time. But if we go into a pond and we're like, is there any, is there even any fish in this area? But how do you get it? By knowledge? We talked about this a second ago. Watch this. Grace comes by knowledge. Man, this is so good. True good fishermen, dude, they study the waters, man. They study where to find the fish. You need to understand. You need to study the word and know where your fish are coming from, man. They're coming from heaven. Ah, so awesome. So awesome, dude. We got to understand. We got to know. We have to have a knowledge of this game, man. How this works. You know how this works? Believe that you received and it will be given to you. Do not doubt. Don't doubt. Believe God. Believe that the stock tank's full. When you throw the fishing line out there, it's going to get a bite, man. Ain't no question about it. You may have to wait a little bit, but it's just a matter of time before that thing goes under. We have to realize that, man. If we could get that, man, we would just go fishing all the time. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. We'd always be praying for people to get healed. We'd never doubt. You see what I'm saying? Because we know the stock tank's full. We know we're going to get it. 
This is good. It's all about knowledge, man. If you didn't know that these other spigots were going to put out water, you're not going to hook up a hose to them. You know? Knowledge, just simply by not having knowledge, it hinders us, man. So it's right here, the mercy of God. We have to know that God's mercy is what heals people. It's God's will to heal. Have mercy on me. And that's why Jesus healed him. He says, oh, faithless and twisted. He goes, oh, faithless and twisted. So what does this have to do with man? First of all, none of those people in the whole group had any faith. All right? Now, this is very important because, you know, when you go pray for people, a lot of people think, well, <clears throat> when I go pray for somebody, somebody, maybe it's because of all the doubt in the room. Maybe he didn't get healed because of all the doubt in the room. Or maybe he didn't get healed because the, the guy who was sick had doubt. That's what a lot of people will think. But that's not what the scripture says. Jesus came and proclaimed it. All y'all have no faith. He walked in the room and sensed it. He goes, none of y'all have any faith. Now there were times when Jesus looked at a man and said, he said, he said he sensed the guy had faith. And then you know what he said in that moment? Your faith has made you well. But in this moment, that guy's faith did not make him well. Whose faith made him well? Jesus' faith. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that that guy didn't have any faith. It didn't matter that his family didn't have faith. It didn't matter that the father, watch this. And another, uh, if you go into, I think it's Mark chapter 9. I don't have it here. I think it's Mark chapter 9 is the other um, story. And, and, and whenever he says, oh yeah, let's just go there. Mark chapter 9. I need to read this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on, my, on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one one just one who believes all right so here's the answer you know when somebody gets healed it's not because everybody had faith it's not because we had three or four people getting faith it's just because only one person had to have faith and not doubt only one person so jesus comes in the room and he looks at everybody you all have no faith and he goes twisted generation what this means is they had some thinking that they thought was good thinking but was twisted this is what we do when we say things like well um, maybe it's not God's will. Or maybe we say things like, well, maybe it's not God's timing. And we don't really know what we're talking about. We're just quoting some preacher that we heard. We didn't read the word for ourselves, you know? Listen, we have a twisted thinking that hinders our faith. Listen, if anything you believe hinders your faith for healing, because it's always God's will to heal. If anything you believe hinders that, then it's twisted. This is what Jesus was saying. Oh, twisted. He walked into the scene. Nobody could believe. Nobody was seeing and healing. And his first response was faithless and twisted. <laughs> faithless and twisted generation. You've got corrupt thinking. Your doctrines are off. Your theology is messed up. Your understanding about this whole thing. You think that I don't care? If This is what he said. Look. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Almost like, are you saying I don't have compassion on you? Are you saying that I don't love you? You're... This guy was almost questioning the character of God. And Jesus is like, let me show you the character of God. Boom, cast the demon out. You know? This is good stuff. Immediately, right? All these things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. That was the, that was the best thing he could have said right there. I believe. Help my unbelief. The father admitted it. He said, I I don't have faith. I have faith, but I have unbelief. And this is powerful, man. If we can understand that we can believe and have unbelief, it helps us not be so defeated. Because a lot of times we think, well, is my faith just not strong enough? No, your faith is strong enough. It's your unbelief that's getting in the way. <laughs> 
Your belief is powerful enough. Your faith, if it's the size of a mustard seed, can move a whole mountain. But it's the unbelief that gets in the way. Powerful stuff. Matthew 17, in the King James Version, it says, Because of your unbelief. They said to him, Why could we not cast it out? And he says, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith in the mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then it says, however, this kind comes out not by, uh, does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Okay, so why does Jesus talk about prayer and fasting right now? I don't think it's talking about a demon so much as it's talking about their unbelief. How do you get rid of your unbelief? Prayer and fasting. Why? Prayer has you focus on the Word of God. It has you hear God's voice. And fasting kills your flesh. Also, fasting in the Bible is quite often referred to as humbling yourself. Listen, to, gr to grow in faith and to kill unbelief, you must fast and pray. Okay? Prayers, we're, we're learning about prayer right now. So when Jesus comes and casts a demon out of the boy, he didn't pray for the boy. He just spoke to the demon. Jesus never prayed for sick people, really. He just told him to be healed. All of his warfare happened early in the morning when he prayed and when he fasted. He was pulling, here's what I feel like he was doing in his prayer closet. He's like, here, I need a, I need a, a fixed spine. I'm sticking my pouch right here. I need a, some eyes to be open. I'm sticking this pouch right here. I need some crippled legs right here. I need, I need to feed 5,000 people right here. And then he goes out, he says, blind eyes here, just have them. Here, oh, you got, he was already doing all the work way before. And you know why we pray for 45 minutes for people sometimes to get healed? Because we didn't pray for 45 minutes in the morning. We go pray for somebody to get healed and we don't have faith for it. So we cast the demon out, cast the demon out, cast the demon out because we don't have any faith. We're working up our faith. We're speaking it. We're actually, we're actually speaking it more times to build our own faith up because we really don't believe it's going to happen. So we keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. Okay. I know, because I've done that, man. I've prayed for people for 45 minutes before. And the whole time, I just kept questioning and kept questioning. It's never going to happen if you don't have um, your unbelief removed. So it's in my prayer time when I receive the word from God. God, what do you have for me? Zach, you're going to heal. You're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. And I get this word in my heart. And I know it. In my prayer time, I, I know. You know what the Lord's told me? One thing I believe in the Lord for, that I'm still building my faith on and removing unbelief, just be honest, mental illness. You know, I'm believing one day I'll be able to lay hands on people who have mental illness and they're going to be healed. But that's something I struggle with unbelief on. It's going to be real. You know? But in my prayer time, I feel like the Lord has told that to me. And so I write it in my journal and I believe the Lord and I stand on the word. And when I see somebody with mental illness, I go pray for them out of faithfulness. You know what I mean? And I believe one day I'll have a breakthrough on it. I'm speaking that in faith on a recording because I'm going to believe it. I believe, therefore I speak, you know? So my point is this, man. In our prayer closet is when we hear what God defines us as. In our prayer closet is whenever we start to learn what he has for us, man. And it's by fasting that we remove ourselves. We, we die to our flesh. This is so hard, man. People are so entertained. They want to feed their bellies, man. 
When you kill your flesh by fasting, you remove unbelief. Because your flesh is screaming, I can't do this. And you're like, your spirit man is saying, yes, you can. You start killing the unbelief. And eventually, you're like, man, I can do this. And you're fasting. And you're praying. Okay? That makes sense? So, fasting is where you empty yourself. Prayer is where you fill yourself back up again. You got to empty yourself of the world, man. This is fasting. Fasting empties yourself of the world and all of its lofty opinions, all the lies that exalt themselves above God. Fasting does that. It removes all of those lofty opinions. It kills your flesh. And then when you pray, you get filled back up again with what God says about you. You get filled back up with what you're going to accomplish in the kingdom of God. Pretty much ran out of time. I wanted to say that though, man. So we talked about understanding unbelief and expelling unbelief. I only talked about expelling unbelief in the very last part here. But this is very important, man. I'm going to make sure there's not something here on my notes that we need to go over real quick. Read this thing right here. In Matthew 17, uh, you'll notice that Jesus does not talk about, uh, does not have these other doctrines that we have. <coughs> Jesus doesn't use these doctrines, men's doctrines, to explain why they didn't get healed. When they said, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus did not say, well, you're not gifted. He did not say, well, it's not God's timing. He did not sing the song, some of God's greatest um, <laughs> gifts are unanswered prayers. <laughs> right? Jesus did not say, it's not God's will. He did not say, God's trying to teach you a lesson. Jesus did not say, the boy and the father didn't have faith. Jesus' response was, all things are possible for one. That's faith. Jesus' response was, if you believe, nothing will be impossible for you. That was the response. We should ask the same thing, man. We ask the question, how come this thing wasn't answered? You know, How come this didn't come through? And you know what? We want to absolutely run away from any of the idea or notion that it might be on us. It has to be God's fault, not my fault. Man, that's bad. It's so bad. God sure takes a whole lot of rap, man. That's why I died on the cross anyway. But anyway, Matthew 17. In the Lord of the, in the story of the epileptic, all the responsibility fell on the disciples and their unbelief and lack of preparedness. If faith comes from the Spirit, then unbelief comes from the flesh. We already talked about this. We prepare by we prepare by prayer and fasting and hearing the word of God. We are called to be the one who has faith when nobody else does. See, there was nobody there who had faith except Jesus. He demonstrated that even if nobody else had faith, then we should have faith for them. By the way, there are many stories of how people uh, who didn't want to be prayed for still got healed. Okay? Uh uh, I'm thinking of a uh, modern day, like anybody knows of Todd White. He talks about that, you know, how people didn't want to get healed and he'll pray for me anyway. And they'll be walking off and they'll turn around and say, did I tell you not to pray for me? They got healed anyway. It's too late. Man, those, those stories are really inspiring, you know, um, last verse. And then we'll quit Luke chapter 18, verse one through eight. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And some translation says, and not give up. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. 
And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this woman keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice. So she will not beat me down by her continual coming. <laughs> and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice. He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, watch this, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus is telling us right now, part of faith is not giving up. I heard a guy teach one time. He says, so what's plan B? When you pray, plan A, and it doesn't work out, what's plan B? And he, he responded, he said, keep praying. There is no plan B. You pray, you believe. You don't see it. You pray, you believe. That's all you can do. Pray and believe. Build your faith with the word of God. Keep doing that. Fast and pray. Kill your flesh. Get rid of your desires. Get rid of your own uh, opinions and lofty opinions. Cast them down. Praise the Lord. I'm going to stop right there, man. We can never give up, man. We can never give up. We got to put that bobber out there and we got to believe that we're fishing in a full stock pond. And that, that bobber is going to go down. That's how our faith has to be, man. And then we keep it out there and we wait and we believe. And then it comes in the name of Jesus. So thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus that we can have a deeper understanding of unbelief and how dangerous it is, dangerous it is and how we can overcome our unbelief through prayer and fasting and being thankful and giving glory to you. According to Romans chapter 4, Father, it says in your word that he, ne he let no unbelief cause him to waver, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. I'm talking about Abraham. I thank you, Father, that we'll be able to give glory to you in our prayers. We'll be able to fast and pray and kill our flesh and remove our unbelief and start to cast down every lofty opinion that is prideful, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God so that we can actually attain the truth that will set us free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Line ministry podcast. For additional teaching, prayer, information, or support, visit our website at boldasalignedministries.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our Facebook page for weekly updates on what God is doing here. We pray blessing over you and yours and for the passion and courage to walk boldly for God.